Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center, a feminist, client-centered, sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Stroh. On each show, we tackle a topic that impacts our sexual and reproductive health by inviting members of our community who work specifically on the subject. Reproductive Left covers a variety of issues, including, but certainly not limited to, reproductive rights, feminism, access to services, sexuality, gender, and relationships. To wrap up our show, we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions in our Ask Mabel segment. Be sure to stick around for it. And thanks for tuning in. As always, I have a great interview for you today with Dana Hayes. Dana is the Director of Public Policy at the Maine Women's Lobby. For more than 30 years, the Maine Women's Lobby has been working to increase opportunities through education and advocacy on behalf of women and girls. Their goal is to ensure that women and girls in Maine can lead healthy and productive lives free from violence and discrimination. In the interview, Dana and I discussed the lobby's priorities, long nights at the State House, and what it's been like for her to advocate for abortion rights while being pregnant. Since we had so much to discuss, this interview ran a bit long, and there will not be time for our Ask Mabel segment. For listeners that subscribe to Reproductive Left on SoundCloud, iTunes, or whichever podcast app you use, I'll upload Ask Mabel in a few days so that you will not have to wait a full month to get answers to your sexual and reproductive health questions. Okay, so now here is the interview. Hi, Dana. Welcome to Reproductive Left. Thank you for being on the show with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm going to have you start by just telling our listeners um, a little bit about the Maine Women's Lobby. Sure. Um, The Maine Women's Lobby was formed in 1978, um, and it was formed by a group of women who wanted to get um, funding for what was then called battered women shelters. And they um, did all of the work legislatively to make sure that that would happen. Um, and they worked with their legislators to get the bill all the way to the Appropriations Committee when um, there needed to be money appropriated for this particular uh, issue. And that, that those decisions are usually made, frankly, in the middle of the night, the end of session. And um, when they saw the final results, they found out that their funding had not been provided, that the Appropriations Committee did not um, give any money to quote-unquote, battered women shelters. And when they were asked what happened, um, they were told that they didn't have somebody there, that they weren't there in the middle of the night Ah. with the Appropriations Committee. And so they said never again. And so since then, they have um, had a lobbyist in the halls of the State House advocating for women um, full-time. And and that's your role now? And that is my role now. Um, And we have thousands of members and activists across the the state who support the work that we do, um, and at the time they they raised uh, they raised enough money with two dollar memberships um, to have a full time lobbyist, and, and we've been there ever since. Wow, yeah. that's awesome! It's a pretty inspiring uh, story, I would say. Yes, and so tell me a little bit more about your role um, within the organization. 
I'm the director of public policy, um, and so it is my job to do kind of the legislative uh, work. And so I am in the state house, and I work with our legislators, um, and I become the expert on the policy issues so that when legislators turn to us and need our support um, on particular issues or when I need to educate legislators about uh, the role of women in law and you know making law, um, we can do that. And so I am there every day the session is in, wow. um, working with legislators. And then in the off session, we do a lot of education and outreach with our sister organization, which is, which is the Maine Women's uh, Policy Center. And so I also, we also staff that. Do you mind telling us a little bit about, a little bit about your background and how you ended up in that role? Not at all. I'm, uh, I'm a lawyer, um, and I went to law school because I had this vague notion that I wanted to make a difference, but I wasn't really sure what the best way to do that would be. Um, and I knew that I was articulate and you know could talk to folks and. Um, I was interested in the law, and I liked I liked the kind of um, the academic exercise of it, mm-hmm. and so it seemed like that was a good avenue for me to pursue, you know, making change. Um, and so I went through law school and took the bar, and um, I was a community organizer for a while after law school, um, and then I got the job here as a lobbyist. So um, I've been at the lobby for almost two and a half years about so and this most recent session legislative session is just over and you must have been living in Augusta in the state house um, for a few months yeah it was pretty intense lots of long nights lots of uh, lots of very late nights sitting in the state house waiting for for bills to come up what were the priorities that you were working on we have a lot of different priorities. So the lobby has four uh, issue areas that we focus on, uh, reproductive rights and access to healthcare being one. Um, and then we also work on freedom from violence, freedom from discrimination and economic security. So as you can imagine, any of those issues that specifically um, disproportionately affect women, we have a hand in. And so we had quite a few priorities this session. Um, we worked really hard on, there were a bunch of uh, bad bills, abortion bills that came up um, that were seeking to in some way abridge a woman's right, a woman's right to seek an abortion. And so that ended up being a major focus of the session just because of how difficult they were to fight and um, how um, critical each vote was. That was, you know, we had a very heavy hand in, in you know, ensuring the outcomes that they, they were killed very, you know, gratefully, but um, and some of those votes were incredibly close. Yeah. Closer than past um, yeah. anti-choice bills in Maine. Yes, definitely. Um, the Senate, one of those votes, uh, one of the, the bills was only killed in the Senate by one vote. Um, and so, you know, I would say reproductive rights in the state are um, unfortunately um, very threatened. And organizations like ours and organizations like um, you know, Planned Parenthood and May Family Planning and Mabel, who work really hard to kind of protect those rights, are kind of more needed now than ever. But um, we also need everybody out there who cares about this issue to call their legislators, because I think there was a time where people took for granted that these kinds of things were safe in our state, and that is just not the case anymore. Um, we also worked on some proactive legislation 
to help uh, more low-income women get access to birth control and contraceptives and um, other family planning services like uh, cancer screenings and um, regular exams. And that actually passed, uh, shockingly, <laughs> but that was part of the kind of controversy towards the end of session um, in which the governor claims to have vetoed a number of bills that he, the Supreme Court found that he did not. Um, so that, that passed in that kind of batch of bills, um, as well as a few, uh, another bill that uh, would have, that protects um, Maine's asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. um, so Maine has uh, a number of immigrant communities who are uh, from countries where there's some kind of upheaval and it's dangerous for folks to stay there. And so they, they come to this, this country hoping for um, an, a claim of asylum so that they can live here. And um, long story short is, you know, they need a little bit of aid when they get here usually because our government doesn't really allow them to work right away. And so um, some of our communities, like especially Portland and Lewiston, um, have been grappling with this issue on how to support folks um, until they can get jobs. And um, there are some folks who don't want us to help them at all. And so uh, another bill that passed was a bill that would kind of support aid for, for asylum seekers, which was a spectacular win and something that, that may not have happened um, in particularly that way without kind of the governor um, decision at the end. So. We're hugely relieved. Um, there are also a, a number of bills that protect uh, victims of domestic violence and sexual assault um, in housing and employment, um, and we are really excited about those because that was um, some of those were hard fought, but they were also real bipartisan efforts, and so um, we had to make sure that you know everybody was on board. But it, it's one of those issues where you can really work across the aisle because mm. there is no party that you know. Um, it claims those issues as their own, and so um, it's a an area in a divided legislature in which you can really still make some really good um, progress, even when things are sort of dysfunctional otherwise. Um, and then we worked really hard to defeat a number of really bad um, public assistance proposals that would cut off access for folks. We know that women are far more likely than their male counterparts to be poor, far more likely to be taking care of children that um, on their own, and therefore even more likely to be poor and struggling with certain issues that, um, you know, frankly, single men who are not taking care of children probably don't have to worry about as much, um, like childcare and things like that. And so we worked really hard to uh, defeat a lot of the proposals that would have made it harder for folks who are and just barely scraping it together to live. Um, and we're really proud of that because that was a really hard, hard fought um, win. And there were many, many bills and many proposals that would have made it very difficult for folks to get help. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. Our interview today is with Dana Hayes, the Director of Public Policy at the Maine Women's Lobby. So it sounds like it was a long, exhausting session, but in the end there were a lot of wins. Were there any situations where you're pretty disappointed in the outcome of um, a bill or a budget? Definitely. Um, unfortunately, um, the Medicaid expansion 
um, under the Affordable Care Act, which many other states have already accepted and are seeing the benefits of covering more low-income people um, with health insurance, we still cannot get passed in this state. Um, there has been so much kind of, frankly, vitriol around the Affordable Care Act that it's almost, uh, you know, a hard issue to broach with folks. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, um, we did not, the legislature did not pass the bill to expand Medicaid uh, last year and this year was was the same, unfortunately. Um, so that's really disappointing because you know, every day that goes by is another day where people are not getting health care for the things that they need, um, are far more likely to go to the emergency room because they don't have preventative health care access. Um, and that that costs the state money in other ways. Um, but, you know, there's only so many times you can tell people that this will save money and save lives right. before, you know, and, you've heard it. And for listeners, um, this was actually the, a topic that we covered in the last episode of Reproductive Left. I interviewed Andrea Irwin, the new executive director at Mabel Wadsworth Center, um, and she talks a lot about the Affordable Care Act. And you can find that um on our SoundCloud account or also on iTunes, and you just search Reproductive Left. Um, so our listeners can't see you, but I know you well, and I <laughs> I have you in the room with me, um, and you are visibly pregnant. <laughs> yes. And I did want to bring this up because um, there's been a lot of talk in the reproductive justice world um, because actually the president of NARAL, Pro-Choice America, which is one of the biggest abortion rights advocacy group in the country is is also pregnant or is maybe she's already been had her baby but you know and she's got a lot of pushback from the conservatives on how can you be pregnant and advocating for abortion rights um in my mind those go hand in hand um but did you run into any of that when you were in the state house advocating for um access to reproductive freedom while being pregnant yeah, I mean, a little bit of that. I think we ha I had a few conversations with, um, you know, friendly conversations, casual conversations, but uh, conversations with folks who are anti-abortion, who could not understand how becoming pregnant wasn't some kind of revelation for me, that um, they felt like there must be something that I misunderstood about abortion or about making that decision for yourself. Um, that I must have missed because there was there's always this kind of like so how are you feeling about it now, mm -hmm. um, and there's even a you know a legislator who sort of promised to follow up with me after I I had the baby, um, to see how I was feeling about it, um, and you know, frankly it's it is a little condescending, but <laughs> regardless if. It's also uh, very consistent with my view on the matter, um, and it really hammers it home even more so because being pregnant is no joke. It's not easy. Um, you know, there's a lot to it. There's a lot emotionally involved. There's a lot of sacrifice of, you know, just your physical being, your body, um, and it changes the way that you interact with the world in in my mind, very kind of, 
in a in a very obvious way. You know, you can't really even go out without being noticed or having conversations with people. People want to talk about it. Like um, me. Like you. <laughs> no, not, not specifically, but, like, even just at the grocery store or, like, you really cannot go out and be inconspicuous mm-hmm. anymore. And that, like, as somebody who sort of enjoys a, a decent amount of anonymity, it's pretty hard. Um, and, oh, by the way, you know, I got to plan for this. I, you know, was I was given access to contraception when I was ready to start having sex as a teenager. Um, and I was able to afford contraception between then and the time that my, you know, now husband and I decided that we were ready to have a baby and, um, I have a job and a house and a supportive family and a supportive partner. And, um, only then did I decide that I was ready for this journey. And even now it's no joke. And so... I am very aware of how it's a spectrum, you know, what may have been good for you at one time in your life may not be good for you at another time in your life. And Mm -hmm. you get to determine when that is, if ever, and that's the name of the game is like, you get to decide. And so I, just the same way I got to decide, okay, now I'm ready. Other people can spend their whole lives saying, nope, not me. I'm all set. And so I, I think for me, it's just, part of my philosophy generally is that now I get to choose to do this under the best of circumstances because I've been given access to choices all along. It sounds like if anything it has made you a stronger advocate for um, for access to reproductive health services. Absolutely and I do not hesitate to tell people that because there's some assumption that you're like on one side or the other and I just think that that is just nonsense. The vast majority of people in this, you know, in this country have had sex at times when they weren't hoping to have a child eventually. And we all just need to acknowledge that reality and move forward and embrace, (laughs) you know, embrace the technology that, that has been created so that we can do that. Yeah. So I want to go back a little bit to, um, you were talking about some of, um, the other work that you do with the Maine Women's Lobby and that's advocating for things like access to um, early childhood childhood education um, and subsidized childcare. Um, also, you do some work around TANF benefits. And with reproductive left, what I really like to do is connect how issues that you d- don't necessarily think are related to reproductive freedom are. So in the past, I've had someone on to talk about racial justice, and we've talked about voting rights and how these connect. Um, how do you see those issues also connecting to reproductive freedom? Yeah, I think they're very clearly, you know, um, all part of the same puzzle. Because the truth is, if you cannot... Um, if you cannot choose to have a family because you cannot afford to do that, um, you don't actually have reproductive freedom. Um, if you can't raise a child with dignity and um, in safety, you don't have access to reproductive freedom. Um, and so, you know, all of the kind of uh, goals related to parenting and especially being a person in poverty and trying to parent, um, we see as part of a a reproductive kind of freedom model. Um, And so 
programs that help people have access to, you know, high quality early childhood programming like Head Start um, or uh, subsidized childcare so that they can go to work or, you know, do all of the other things that you need to do for the rest of your life uh, without having to worry that your child is not being cared for well. Um, those are all part of that same spectrum and just the same way we see certain workplace issues as part of the same spectrum. If you cannot take time off to care for your sick child because your employer does not offer a single paid sick day, um, that is not reproductive freedom um, because you're, you're not going to be able to be um, as effective a parent as you, as you need and want to be. Um, the same thing with paid family leave. And actually, um, the Maine Women's Lobby has an ongoing project related to paid sick days and paid family leave. And um, if you have a story about that, you can go to our website at um, www.mainwomen.org, and Maine is all the way spelled out. We have a story banking um, function so that we can kind of collect stories so that if there ever is time to kind of share that with legislators, we like to be able to do that, and we'd like to be able to share stories of Mainers who are struggling with this particular issue. And actually right now, sorry, I'll, I'll have to say this, <laughs> there's some federal action on, on paid sick days um, the Healthy Families Act is currently in Congress, and although we probably suspect it doesn't have a ton of legs, we have, um, you know, our senators are probably not 100% decided on where they're headed with that particular bill, and if you think that people should have access to, to paid sick days, especially as part of a reproductive freedom model of, you know, being able to truly be present for your family and for yourself and for your children, um... Call, call your senators. Um, call Senator Collins and call Senator King and tell them to that they really ought to sign on to the Healthy Families Act. And they do love hearing from all of us. Absolutely. I even if even if you know that they are totally with you or totally against you, um, one of the great things about democracy is that you get to have your voice heard. And I think people think it's going to be a very intimidating process, but the truth is, it's really quite easy. You call, you don't even have to leave your name, they usually don't ask, um, and you just say that you're a constituent and this is the particular issue that you're concerned about and um, what you hope your, your congressperson or your legislator will do about it, and then you hang up. <laughs> and sometimes they write you a nice note and they tell you why they did what they did in the end. Most times they don't, and that's pretty much it. So I highly recommend that if, if anybody hasn't done that or even if they feel like maybe their legislator or congressperson is not movable on an issue or is already with you, it still is the it still is really important for them to hear from constituents because the influences within the legislature and within Congress are very strong and very um, pressing. And if they haven't heard from their constituents, you sort of never know what else they're hearing and whether they could take that as a sign that nobody really cares. So, And I think we witnessed that on a smaller scale with the Maine legislature this past session um, around the anti-choice bills we were talking about that really hearing from um, from people in their districts made a huge difference. It really did. I mean, there and with a whole bunch of other bills too. I mean, the the power of lobbyists is, you know, is no good if you can't get reelected. And so if your constituents, you're hearing from your constituents that you can't that you're that no one's going to reelect you if you do something. Um all the money in the world can't really help you solve that problem. So that, you know, that is the power that you still hold. 
Um, and so it's really important that people exercise that as much as possible. Like, be a thorn in your legislator's side, <laughs> please. It's, it, it really is. Some legislators have told us that three calls will make the difference for them, and that's it. Um, and so in Maine, we have really great access to our legislators. They expect you to call them. They know you're going to call them. They know that it's their job to listen to you, and it's your job to make sure that they know how you feel about it. So with the... With the start of, or the end of the summer, um, I know that things have quieted down a little bit for you, but you certainly still have a lot going on. What does the Maine Women's Lobby have planned for this fall? Well, um, even though the legislature is out, Congress is not, and so there's still a few things that we're working on. We're working on um, toxic chemicals and consumer products, and there's some reform um, that we're working on. Uh, especially influencing um, Senator Collins, hoping that she will um, make some make some good choices as it relates to um, toxic chemicals because, um, as it turns out, women, and especially pregnant women, are far more susceptible than the, to the chemicals that are in our consumer products than uh, the average population. Um, and so we work really hard on that issue, and so we're spending some time on that this summer, and we're also spending some time on the Healthy Families Act, as I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also have a, um, we have our, um, our sister organization, the Maine Women's Policy Center, which is kind of primarily focused on education and research, um, is having a Women's Economic Security Summit. It's actually our second one. We had one a few years ago, and it's wildly successful but we're hoping this will be even more so and it's in augusta um it's october 16th and you can find um all that information on our website as well um which is actually www.mainwomenspolicycenter.org since they're different organizations um, but again maine is all spelled out yeah so those are those are probably our biggest things our our summit is going to be um really exciting i will probably have given birth shortly before it, so I might miss it. <laughs> but I'm a that seems jealous. like a reasonable excuse. I feel like it's probably reasonable, but it looks like it's going to be amazing, and our, um, our speakers look incredible, so I'm very excited about it. Great. Well, I just want to thank you again, Dana, for being on Reproductive Left with me today. It's about time to wrap things up. Dana, is there anything you'd want to add or any major takeaways for our listeners? Um, yeah, just if they uh, want more information about how to get involved and how to be an advocate, they can um, follow us on Facebook or on Twitter, or they could um, sign up for our, our email alerts, and we would be glad to kind of supply you with all the information you need to, to arm yourself to be a strong advocate. Great, and do you want to give your website one more time? Sure, it's www.mainwomen, Maine is all spelled out, .org. Great, thank you. Thank you. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. For more information about Mabel Wadsworth Center, visit MabelWadsworth.org or Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center on Facebook. Thanks for listening to Reproductive Left, produced by WERU in collaboration with Mabel Wadsworth Women's Health Center. If you want to hear more, you can find us on SoundCloud and subscribe to Reproductive Left on iTunes or whichever podcast app you use. I'm Abby Strout. Tune in next time, the first Tuesday of the month, 
at 4.30 p.m. right here on Community Radio, WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or online at WERU.org.